In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Please be seated. The other week, a funny email began to circulate among um, Episcopal circles. There's a, a website called Episcopal Café, and it's a little bit like um, Gossip Central for the Episcopal Church. Um, but it tends to be reliable. It has sometimes official news and press releases from the National Church. It will list statements by various bishops. Um, and then there's an opportunity for people to comment. Uh, but the comments are screened, so they're always nice comments, and they're usually insightful and helpful comments. And so this one morning, there was um, an article on Episcopal Cafe, and it quickly uh, took off through social media. The article had to do with a recent decision made by the Standing Commission on on Liturgy and Music of the Episcopal Church. This is the group that, that edits the prayer book and does important things like that. And the the statement said that the Standing Commission had officially released a supplement to the Eucharistic rite, which is to say the way we we proclaim the Eucharist, uh, communion, that approved for trial use beginning on Easter Sunday 2017, the supplement of fish to wine and bread for the Holy Eucharist. Well, people like me read a few more sentences and then immediately were outraged and incensed that, look what they've done now. This is just like that standing commission to add fish to wine and bread. And of course, they referenced today's gospel because very early on after the resurrection, Jesus appears on the beach and basically throws a fish fry for the disciples. And so this article went on and on, sounding very, very official, very professional, And if you had patience not to fly off the handle like I did initially and read on, then eventually you got to the end of the story where it talked about adding fish to the bread and wine used at the altar. And it said, members of church altar guilds should be prepared to remove fish oil stains from the altar linens very quickly. Finally, the commission strongly recommends sensing the altar immediately after setting the table for the Eucharist in order to reduce any distracting fish odors. It was April 1st, April Fool's Day. It was one of the best April Fool's jokes I've seen in a long time because it knew just how to, to get uh, uh, priests and others interested in the way we worship angry enough to not read any further. It quoted today's gospel, though, and sometimes today's gospel is overlooked. This wonderful story of Jesus appearing and doing this very human thing by offering to have breakfast. There was a a church I knew when I was in college that on Easter morning would, sure enough, gather for breakfast and they would include fish and they would grill it outdoors as they remembered the Easter story. Today's gospel is really a fish tale of sorts. It's a story about fish, but it's also about faith, about deep faith. It's a story about St. Peter, 
Many of you have probably visited Israel. If you've been anywhere near the Sea of Galilee, you've seen in any of the restaurants or the roadside stands what is advertised as St. Peter's Fish. It's very popular. It's usually fried or it comes in a sandwich. It's basically tilapia. And um, in Israel, uh, St. Peter's Fish usually comes with a little salad, some fries, and maybe a pickle or a lemon wedge. But this association with St. Peter comes from another strange part of the Gospels. In the Gospel of Matthew, there's an odd story in the context of paying taxes. When the disciples ask Jesus, should they pay taxes? And Jesus tells a story, and Peter finds a fish with a coin in its mouth. And so tradition has associated St. Peter with a fish, but also with today's Gospel. But if you think about it, what's strange about St. Peter's fish, or a fish being associated with St. Peter, is really more about St. Peter himself. The fact that St. Peter would even be talked about after the resurrection. Remember the last time we've seen St. Peter. Of course, on Maundy Thursday, the Thursday of Holy Week, when we uh, remember the foot-washing gesture of Jesus, St. Peter is full of faith. He's at the forefront. He's the one who says, well, Jesus, I won't let you wash my feet. And Jesus insists, and then St. Peter says, well, then not only my feet, but my head and my body as well. St. Peter wants all of Christ that he can get until the next day. when Peter denies Christ three times. And that's the last we hear of Peter until this story. And so we can wonder what happens to Peter. What does he do? Where does he go? Uh, Does he run away? He wasn't at the crucifixion. Does he go to a local pub and try to forget it all? Does he run away with friends or family? Well, in today's gospel, we get an insight into what he really does do. Overwhelmed by all that he's experienced, overwhelmed by the story of Jesus, by the experience of Jesus, Simon Peter goes fishing. He goes back to work. Not knowing anything else to do, he just gets back with the routine. Maybe that's all he could do. Just go back to as much normal as he could make it be. St. Peter strikes me as, in many ways, our contemporary. Wouldn't many of us do the same thing? Don't we do the same thing? When we're overwhelmed with something, when we don't know what to do or what to think, we just go back to what's familiar. Peter has had a long week. There's a lot on his mind. He needs to get away, to run away. And so he goes fishing, and the disciples join him. But notice what's happening. Nothing. The fish aren't biting. It's as though creation itself refuses to play along with Peter's will. Creation, the water, the fish, the wind, they're all saying, they're all conspiring against Peter in a way to say, no, Peter, you can't go fishing just yet. You need to sort out some other things first. And so we have our story. A new day begins to break. The sun is just about to come up, and the disciples make out this form standing on the beach. The person gives advice. Throw the net out on the other side. But he speaks with a kind of knowing authority that gets the attention of the disciples. And so they do it, and suddenly they feel the weight of all these fish. John says to Peter, it's Jesus, it's the Lord. 
Then Simon Peter jumps into the water. It's too good to be true. It's too fantastic. It's too forgiving. It's too much of God's grace. And yet there he is, Jesus. It's like a second baptism for Peter. The old is washed away. The new has come. Buried with Christ in his death, Peter is lifted up to share in the resurrection of Christ. And Peter becomes like a little child. Peter becomes like Bo. (laughs) With a light heart. With a ready faith. With an eager willingness to grab hold of love. Wherever love can be found. Jesus says, come and have breakfast. (laughs) And then the disciples hear echoes of that other meal they shared where Jesus said, take, eat, this is my body. And so a meal is shared, new life is shared, it's tasted and savored. This meal provides for the kind of intimacy and honesty in which Jesus can sort of pull Simon Peter aside. I imagine Jesus sort of whispering in his ear, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter says, yes, Lord, of course, you know I do. Jesus remembers Good Friday. Jesus remembers the denials. And so Jesus says, feed my lambs. Again, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Well, yes, Lord, yes, you know that I love you. And then that third time comes, do you really love me? We're told that Peter is sad because Jesus keeps asking and seems to doubt. And yet, from what we know about Peter, Jesus has every reason to doubt this shaky and unreliable faith of Peter. Jesus knows how Peter's heart really is. So Peter says, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And then Jesus says, okay, then feed my sheep and follow me. The gospel writer is doing some tricks with us by repeating the story three times. He means for us to remember the three denials of St. Peter. Those three denials by another campfire are now made right at a new campfire. The church enacts and reenacts this undoing and doing and doing and undoing again of threeness with the liturgies of Holy Week. And in many churches on Good Friday, when the cross is brought in for veneration, um, the priest or the deacon who's bringing the cross says, Behold the wood of the cross on which hung the, sound, the salvation of the world, and says it three times at three different spots. And then if you come to the Easter Vigil, you notice that the new light, this new Paschal candle, as it's blessed and lit for the first time, is brought in. And at those same three places, it's proclaimed the light of Christ, the light of Christ, the light of Christ. There's something about this threeness. We understand it being at the Holy, the Church of the Holy Trinity. But there's something sacred and whole to threeness. And so Jesus asks Peter three times, do you love me? Do you really love me? Whether it's in patterns of three or four or a hundred or a thousand, God provides these occasions for us, for each one of us, just like Jesus did for Simon Peter, so that we might have a, a second chance, a third chance, a fourth chance, a hundredth chance to affirm our faith. Jesus knows our hearts are like Peter's that will probably deny at some point or another, but Jesus also knows our hearts are his and will turn to him eventually.
I once saw a wonderful sign in a chaplain's office that said, O God of second chances and new beginnings, here I am again. (laughs) And here we are again. My old preaching professor, Tom Long, likes to say that faith is not so much an experience or a feeling or an emotion. It's not simply some vague awareness of something greater than ourselves. Instead, faith is a skill. It's a skill, a skill to be taught and developed and practiced. Faith is something to be done in the world, and the world awaits our doing. Jesus says, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. In other words, care for one another, show love to one another, especially the stranger or the misfit or the lonely or the forgotten, the poor, the sick, and follow me. Like with Peter, God gives us all sorts of second chances. For the the one who has become so engrossed in work as to forget the gifts of family, God offers a second chance. For the one who has walked by the person in need, God provides a second chance. For the one who perhaps always has to have the final word, never buckles to another, but then later regrets it, God gives a second chance. To the ones whose relationships have become more mundane than magic, God gives other chances. For the one who's angry or disappointed or or stuck in shame, who's obsessed with regret, the one who's lost faith in a world of abuse or violence or bombs and bloodshed, God provides second chances and third chances and hundredth chances. Whatever chance this might be for us, whatever opportunity we might hear God inviting us, I pray that we would receive the forgiveness that God would give us, that we might have faith to embrace God's welcome and to throw our life into the life of the risen Christ again. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.